0: Last weekend, my five-year-old Henry was uh, was invited to a birthday party over at Gersh Park. So we go over there at like 10 o'clock, and the, the family's got this great spread for all the kids, lots of snacks, all sorts of things going on. They have like a full lunch prepared for all the adults, which is rare and pretty awesome. But the highlight of this spread was the biggest bouncy house you have ever seen that is rentable. It was just like Absolutely absurdly large. The thing had, had multiple slides and two in the front. It had like the two big slides that go down parallel between one another, and then they end up and have a little buttress where the kids can come and like slam into it at full speed. It's pretty awesome. And Henry and Jimmy were doing doing laps along with all the other kids. They're just going, you know, going straight down the slide and then coming back in and climbing up the huge little wall that they have that leads up to there. And all these kids are running back and forth. And you know, just littered with kids going all over the place. They're like trampling each other. And at one point, Henry is going around with, uh, with three of his friends. And all at once, they, they, they all go down this slide. Just as at the bottom, a kid is like just standing up. You've seen this. You've seen this a thousand times, right? You know how this is going to go. Kid stands up. All four of them come down, tap, hit the kid. The kid goes sliding out full on peanut style you know, flips over. And fortunately, they all land in a pile and come up laughing, like totally Do- laughing, but one of the parents saw this go down, they're like, hey, you've got to look out for, for Johnny over there. As, you know, as you're coming down the slide, you've got to be careful with him. Uh, and, they, and the kids didn't skip a beat and said, he shouldn't have been there. <laughs> he was in our way. It was a classic case of blaming the victim, (laughs) the age-old phenomenon in which we blame the person who is injured for doing something to cause their own malady. That is the crux of the gospel reading for today. Let's take a look. This is kind of an obscure passage, so let's take a look at it. And break it down. Some folks from Jesus' home state, Galilee, and when you hear Galilee, think like Kentucky, or maybe think Arkansas. We've got a couple of Arkansans in here, although they're not, they're not here right now. But, but think, think one of those, one of those places. Maybe Arkansas is a nice example. These country folks have come to the big city, and while offering sacrifices in the temple, they are slaughtered. Pilate, the Roman prefect of Judea. When the locals hear about this, they come to Jesus with the question, what did they, these these Galileans, these Arkansans, what did they do wrong? If God did not spare them from the hands of the occupying oligarch, they must have done something to deserve it. It's the old Bad things only happen to bad people mentality. In psychology, they refer to this as just world bias. Just world bias is the assumption that the world is just, that that bad things won't happen to good people and good things won't happen to bad people. It's an outgrowth of the human craving for predictability, right? We like to think that bad guys never win, that everyone can pick themselves up by their bootstraps, that perpetrators of sexual assault don't become president. This is and was popular theology too, right? People think that if God lets bad things happen, someone has sinned. They had it coming. You know, I grew up up in Salinas, and I was in the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake. And I remember turning on the TV in in the following days and hearing about people saying, San Francisco and the Bay Area, they had it coming because San Francisco is a sinful place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it doesn't end there. <laughs> I heard. I've even heard distant uh, in-laws of mine in Indiana say similar things about us here when we had our wildfires and mudslides last year. I have even. I have even heard it said, and this is horrible. In the last couple of weeks, similar things about the mosque killings in New Zealand. It's an atrocious way to react, but it is. Common. People like to justify suffering so that we can dismiss it, so we can categorize it and say, oh, it's only because of that. It's a game we play the shame blame game. Jesus is having none of this, he rejects the culture of blaming the victim. He says, just because these country folks were slaughtered, or just because an old tower fell on some poor folks nearby doesn't mean they had it coming. Don't blame the victim. Jesus turns the tables on the accuser saying, if you want to judge someone, judge yourself. Change what you are doing. Repent. Now, we are all so ingrained in this shame-blame game that it can be hard for us to understand what Jesus says here. He says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. This sounds to us like doomsday street corner preacher folk with megaphones and signs, right? That culture... Is based in fear of a God that will squash you if you are not good. It's that just world bias all over again. The exact opposite of what Jesus is talking about in this passage. When Jesus says repent, he means something totally different than that. The Greek word translated repent is metanoiete, the verb form of metanoia. Metanoia from meta, meaning after or beyond, and noose meaning mind, after thought, going beyond your mind. Change your mind. To these judgmental folks playing the shame blame game, Jesus is saying change your mind. Change your mind to have compassion on people who are suffering. Change your mind to take responsibility for your own actions rather than judging someone else. Change your perspective so that you can see grace. Grace. That is the heart of this passage, as we see in the parable of the fig tree that concludes it, right? The tree does not deserve to be spared. I admit, I have taken down some trees in my own yard because they did not bear fruit. It's frustrating, right? But the gardener is not clouded by merit or judgmental anger. The gardener, who is closest to the tree, the one who works alongside the tree, the one who would love to see it bear fruit, does not give up on the tree. The gardener shows the tree grace. As the book of common prayer, the Episcopal book of common prayer states, grace is God's favor, unmerited and undeserved. Jesus is suggesting a shift in focus, a change of mind from judgment to grace. It is that change of mind that opens us up to bearing fruit, to healthy relationship. We know this to be true biologically, right? When we are afraid, our bodies tense up. Our pulse and our respiratory rate increase. Our brain activity is limited, focusing on fight or flight. In contrast, when we are relaxed at ease, we breathe deeply. Blood flows throughout the body. The brain is nourished and capable of a greater breadth of thought. Like a fruit tree in its season, grace allows us to pass on the blessings, the nutrients that we are given. We move beyond our own survival, our judgment, our fears, and consider God and neighbor. It is a shift from fear to love, from shame and blame to grace, from the assumption of just bias to the pursuit of justice. A few weeks ago, we talked about the value of taking responsibility for our lives as a crucial step of self-differentiation in family systems theory. Do we remember talking about this? Remember this? Okay, great. Taking responsibility for our actions is a form of breaking the cycle, of breaking cycles of abuse and addiction and suffering within our families and communities. The phrase... Blaming the Victim comes from the title of a 1971 book by psychologist William Ryan. It was a response to the Moynihan Report, which claimed that the black community was destroying itself in part because of the disintegration of family systems. Ryan's critique pointed out that the report diverted responsibility from the roots of systemic racism and poverty diverted responsibility and put the blame on the victims. As followers of Christ, we have a responsibility to acknowledge how we participate in systemic racism and poverty. It is the nourishment of grace that gives us the courage, enables us to pursue that responsibility. The responsibility to attend to everyone who thirsts, that they may come to the waters, as Isaiah says. It doesn't end there, right? When we are nourished, we are able to look out and see where else a grace needs to attend. These days, the phrase blaming the victim is most commonly associated with victims of rape and sexual assault. We hear that old line, she was asking for it. According to the Isla Vista Community Services District, between 2015 and 2017, there were 25 rapes reported in our community. And that is just the report of official rapes. It says nothing against other sexualized violence. The most frequent location Of rape or sexual offense is the UCSB library. Isn't that atrocious? Dear friends, this should not be. What can we do to change that? How can we extend grace to the victims in our community? How can we reveal the grace we have been given by passing it along? We are surrounded by people who have been hurt by a culture of shaming and blaming in everything from race and religion to sexual identity. And I admit, at times, I am tempted to respond with fear. At times, bringing about justice in the community, spreading grace feels like a task that is too much. But, when I am plugged into the fullness of grace, when my breath deepens and my mind changes, I hear that still, small voice reminding me that we are enough. Amen.